Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Crime Talk with TNZ. It is just going to be me today. Ellie and I went to Bush Gardens <laughs> over the weekend and unfortunately from all the screaming, Ellie sounds very raspy. Hideous. So you just got me. Make sure wherever you're listening to us that you hit that follow or subscribe button and tell your friends to listen to us. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to give us a rating. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We'd really appreciate it. Especially you lurker people. I see you guys lurking. Just hit that follow button. Just hit that subscribe button. Just do it. Today we are going to talk about the survival story of Lisa McVeigh Nolan, who was abducted and raped. Lisa had a hard life growing up. She was physically, mentally, and sexually abused as a child. Her mother was an alcoholic and drug addict who ended up living on the streets. At the age of 14, Lisa went to live with her grandmother. I know that Lisa has two other siblings, a brother and a sister, and I'm not sure what happened to them during this time. If they stayed with the mom or they were placed in foster care or went with another family member, but Lisa went with her grandma. She lived with her grandmother and her grandmother's boyfriend in hopes of having a better life. But unfortunately, the abuse continued at the hands of her grandma's boyfriend. On November 2nd, 1984, Lisa, who's now 17 at this time, decided she couldn't cope with the abuse anymore. She felt like suicide was her only option to escape. She wrote her suicide note and went to work. During this time, Lisa worked at a Krispy Kreme donut shop in Tampa. That night in particular, she had a double shift, means that she didn't get out of work until around 2 a.m. She rode her bicycle to and from work. A co-worker had offered her a ride home that night since it was so late, but she declined and started pedaling home. As she rode her bike home, she decided that when she got there, she would carry out her plan to commit suicide. She did the same route home every day, and it was always dark, but that night in particular, it seemed darker than usual. Her route involved passing a church parking lot, and there was a single car in the lot. Lisa instantly got a bad feeling looking at the car and was scared. She suddenly felt knocked in the throat and fell off her bike as if you got struck down by a tree branch you didn't see. There was instantly a gun against her left temple and a man was standing over her, but it was too dark for her to see him. I cannot imagine what she was thinking during this time. I I would have been freaking out. The man put his arm around her and dragged her into the vehicle. As he was taking her to the car, she made sure to pay attention to as much detail as she could, such as the color of the car, which was red, the type of wheels it had, He threw her into the passenger seat of the car and told her to undress and perform oral sex on him. Lisa obeyed him, and when she was done, he told her, You're going to continue to show me a good time. As long as you listen, you'll be okay. Lisa, who earlier wanted to end her life, was now going to have to fight to save it. He blindfolded her and tied her hands and feet. He put down the seat so she was in the laying down position and started to drive. 
In that position, she could see a little bit from underneath the blindfold. She saw that the dashboard of the car had the word Magnum on it. She tried to pay attention to every turn that was taken. She could even tell based on how the wind changed that they had gotten on the highway. They drove on the highway for what only seemed like a few minutes before getting off. He stopped at a home surrounded by woods and led her into it. Lisa continued to pay attention to her surroundings as much as she could. She could tell that there was a window on the front door and that the front door was made of wood. She counted 26 steps as they walked up. The place smelled new. He took off the bindings and blindfold but told her not to look at him. He put her in the shower and bathed her. She said he was being gentle and almost kind, which was so confusing to her considering he just abducted her, he just forced her to do oral sex on him, and now he was being nice? But just like flicking on a light switch, his demeanor changed. When he told her to get on the floor and she refused, he violently threw her to the ground and raped her. She still couldn't see him because he was behind her the whole time. When she started to scream, he told her to shut up, and she did. She knew at this point it was better not to defy him. Whatever he said, she did. She was afraid that if she didn't, he would kill her. From the bathroom, he takes her to the bedroom and tells her to lay on the bed. She said she felt so uncomfortable because she was still naked, she was cold, and just felt so vulnerable. He blindfolds her and bounds her hands and feet again. He gets in bed with her and places the gun on her stomach. He tells her, remember, I have this, then puts it on the headboard of the bed. Throughout the night, he repeatedly rapes her. She said she lost count how many times it happened because he raped her so much. At some point, though... He had fallen asleep, and when he woke up, he grabbed Lisa's hands and placed them on his face. To her, the way he wanted her to caress his face, it was like he was playing out a boyfriend-girlfriend fantasy. With her hands on his face, she was able to tell some features that he had. He had thin eyebrows, small ears. She could tell where his hairline was and that he had a mustache. He had acne scars on his cheeks. Even though she was blindfolded, she was able to know what his face looked like. Eventually, she needed to use the bathroom. At first, he wanted her to use it with the door open, but she told him, I really can't go that way. I need privacy. I need the door closed. And he allowed her to close the door. Once that door was closed, she made sure to put her fingerprints anywhere and everywhere she could. She wanted to make sure that it was known she was there, which is so smart. She was trying to leave as much evidence as she could behind. Throughout her time in his home, she never heard any other person or any car drive by. Nothing. It was just her and her rapist. She felt utterly alone and helpless. Lisa wanted her rapist to think she didn't see him as a monster. She treated him with kindness and respect in order to gain his trust. She asked him why he was doing this to her. He didn't know her. Why was he treating her this way? And he told her he was getting back at women in general for a really bad breakup with another girl. 
Lisa would make things up to tell her captor. Lies like that she was an only child with an ill father that relied on her to take care of him. Without her, her father would have no one. That she needed to go back to her father. She needed to help her father. He would ask her to describe the bodies of girls she had seen in the locker room at school. And she would again lie to appease him. See, Lisa was very shy. She didn't undress or get dressed in front of other girls. She would go into the bathroom stall to get ready for physical education. But she would say anything to make him happy. The next day, he put clothes on her, sat her at the edge of the bed, and asked her, what am I going to do with you? Lisa told him, I'll be your girlfriend if you want. I'll do whatever it takes. I won't tell anyone. You seem like a decent man. You're just misunderstood. He said, no, 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 I can't do that, and then asked her where she lived. She told him the area, and he said, let's go. He reminded her that he had a gun with him and took her to the car. Under the blindfold, she could see they drove by two hotels, a Quality Inn and a Howard Johnson, and made sure to keep that in her mind. He took out money from an ATM by one of the hotels before stopping a block away from the area she told him. He hugs her and tells her sorry for what he did to her. He then instructs her to get out of the car and to stand there and then drives off. She's still blindfolded and when she hears the car drive away, she falls to her knees and takes off the blindfold. She suddenly thinks, Oh my God, what if he changes his mind? And with that thought, she begins running to her house. Every car that drove by her, she would hide. She would hit the ground or she would hide behind another car. She says that everyone that went by her probably thought she was a crazy person. But she was so scared that he would change his mind and go looking for her. She finally makes it home and for five hours... Her grandma's boyfriend beats her. While he's beating her, he's asking her where she had been, who she was with. He and her grandma didn't believe that she was abducted. They thought that she ran away or went off with friends and was having a good time. They didn't believe her story at all. Her grandma finally takes a stand against the boyfriend and calls the police. Her boyfriend was arrested. Lisa was interviewed about what happened throughout her kidnapping. She told law enforcement everything she could remember. She gave them a description of his face, and they were able to make a sketch, the color of his car, and the word Magnum on the dashboard. She tried to tell them which direction they drove the best she could. Lisa then told them that on their way to her home, he stopped at an ATM by two hotels, a Quality Inn and a Howard Johnson. There was only one person that went to that ATM that night, Robert Joe Long. Law enforcement found Robert had a red Dodge Magnum registered in his name. Two weeks later, he was arrested at a movie theater not far from his home for Lisa's abduction and rape. He was sentenced to death not only for what he did to Lisa, but for other crimes he committed against women. Lisa was taken in by her aunt and uncle. They helped her get the counseling she needed. They showed her how parents are supposed to treat their child. 
Lisa is now a Hillsborough County Sheriff's deputy. She works as a resource officer at a middle school not far from where she was abducted. She said she became an officer because, and I quote, I wasn't going to allow anybody to hurt me again, and the only way I knew how to do that was to get into law enforcement. My empowerment comes from being so helpless and lost, that feeling I had when I was 17 years old. I'm not lost anymore. I'm on top of my mountain, and it feels pretty good. She also works as a motivational speaker. It hasn't been completely easy for Lisa, though. She says she still has PTSD and has fought bouts of depression, but she says the nightmares come less often than they used to. Lisa is married and has a daughter. She said her struggles with her own mother has made her want to be the opposite for her daughter. Being a good mother is what's most important to her. Lisa is amazing. She's such a strong woman, not only for what she endured in those 26 hours with Robert, but for her whole life. There is a Lifetime movie about her ordeal called Believe Me, The Abduction of Lisa McVeigh that you can check out if you're more interested in her story. If you're wondering how Lisa feels about her abductor, well, she hasn't forgiven him. She tells her story but doesn't want others to forget about Robert's victims that didn't get to live. We know you guys want to know who are his victims What are these crimes Robert committed? Don't worry. We're going to tell you all about Robert's crimes in next week's episode. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into our episode of Crime Talk with TNZ. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I know there are a lot of crime podcasts out there to choose from. We will have a new story for you every week. Check out our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook page for updates. Crime Talk with TNZ is hosted by Rhiannon Torino and Elizabeth Zambrano. Our music is by Elizabeth Zambrano. Our logo is by Alexander Zust.